Good afternoon, everyone, to those of you watching online again. Um, Last couple of weeks, we have been rooted in the book of Joshua, particularly Joshua chapter 24 and this verse, verse 15, where it says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And really, it's been uh, a heart's cry to respond to an invitation by Jesus, and that is to wholehearted commitment in the midst of a pandemic. You know, when our emotions are telling us to go one way and our circumstances are telling us to go another, I think just to make a commitment, a choice, uh, an act of the will, if you like, say, look, Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I've been driving it home really to us as individuals. Um, It's allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of get up close and personal with us and say, look, this is for you as an individual. What is your response to this challenge? But I think it's fitting uh, on this particular Welcome Home Sunday as we're all gathered together again after six months of not meeting as a church to really focus on that two-letter word we see in that verse, we, we. And uh, it's amazing, uh, but in the last 50 years, there's been a real shift Um, a seismic shift, if you like, of seeing things and doing things as a community and together to one and to alone and as individuals. There's been a huge shift from the power of um, we and us to me and I. And whether it's books that have been written or songs that have been sung or, or speeches that have been said, there's certainly been a shift and a shift in emphasis. Uh, Marriage, uh, families, and communities have atrophied. And the result in that has been an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And with that, mental ill health, emotional ill health, and of course, because of that, physical ill health as well. And so I, I really want to, on this Welcome Home Sunday, challenge us as a family, as a church community, to respond to this invitation together. But it's interesting as we look at the culture and the climate that we live in, this, this focus on independence. There was a cartoon in the 14th of November 2019 issue of the New Yorker magazine, and it showed Humphrey Bogart. Who remembers Humphrey Bogart? Any of you? Okay, three of you, uh, wearing a white tuxedo and a black bow tie, sitting alone at a bar, and in front of him is an electronic device. And he's turning to it and saying, Alexa, play as time goes by. And really, it's a poignant image of our cultural moment where communication technology is smarter and faster, but human interaction, other focus, face-to-face is all too rare. And what I've noticed, I'm sure you have in this pandemic, is there's certainly been an awakening of the art of neighboring. I don't know about you, but I've got to know people in my community that I'd never spoken to before until the pandemic happened. But also, the sheer weight and pressure of the last six months has reawakened and brought to the surface and into the visible, if you like, the pain of isolation and loneliness. And so at the beginning of the year, Joni and I, we launched our vision for this church. 
and the vision is home. And, and that's more than just a, a nice saying to make us feel good, but it's deeply spiritual and scriptural and it is from the heart of God. First of all, God is home. That will always come first for us. The worship of God, intimacy with God, the presence of God. God is home. We don't supplant God for people. And before I come on to the second thing, which is church is home, is the third thing we wanted to do was to invite our city home. And we've done that by creating rooms of compassion and connection through doing things like Alpha Online and launching our community money advice and expanding our food bank and launching and pioneering Grow Baby and many other things. And church, I just want to pause for a moment and thank you for your radical generosity and servant hardness in the last six months. Uh, Joni and I were in a, a, a cafe uh, in, a, in a place about 45 minutes away from Hull, outside of Hull, a couple of weeks ago, and she was um, wearing a whole vineyard jumper, and the guy at the counter said, oh, I know of you, I've seen you online, you're the church that does A, B, and C, referencing our compassion work. Isn't that amazing? Just the, the hybrid of online with our hearts of compassion that this church has been doing, that you have been doing, has just seen incredible fruit, and as we've been inviting our city home. The thing is, if you cut the, this church in the middle, down the middle, we bleed compassion because it is the heart of God. God is gracious and compassionate. You see, when we, we look at things like poverty, when we look at things like debt and isolation, of course we make a moral judgment on those things and we look at that and we say that is wrong. No, no child should not um, be able to be clothed when they're just born. No one should go without a meal. No one should be stuck in such financial uh, debt that they cannot go on living. And so we pronounce as the church a moral judgment on those things and we say that is wrong. But let me tell you what compassion does. Compassion moves you from pronouncing that to being stirred in the innermost being of your heart and your soul and say we must do something about it. We don't just empathize with people, but compassion acts. We do something about it because this is what God does. That is the gospel. But I want to camp around for a few moments the second part of our vision, which is we are home. The church is home. We are family. You know, there's incredible powers in there with the whole idea of togetherness and the power of we and us in our marriage course, Zoom, that Joni and I have been doing recently, uh, we highlighted that if, if we want a good definition of what marriage is all about, it is about togetherness. And we do everything intentionally and strategically in our marriage to guard against anything that pulls us apart. And that's what we need to do as a church family, is that God elevates through the Bible unity. He elevates togetherness family, community, and we need to do everything to guard against anything that pulls us away from each other. We need to cherish and protect and guard our togetherness and our unity because disunity means actually we've forgotten what the gospel is all about. Now, at the heart and the crux of this Christian call and... Um, idea of coming home is to love. 
Because nothing beats a loving home, does it? Nothing beats a loving home. In fact, if you think about it, what was it that promoted and accelerated the Christian church throughout the world that brought the Roman Empire to its knees? It wasn't great church services. It wasn't fancy branding. It wasn't social media or a great vision statement or church building. It wasn't preachers with cool sneakers. Anybody seen those? Got a little picture of that. Um, There we go. There's a pastor from the States with his five and a half thousand US dollars. I want to get on this Instagram, if I'm I'm honest. My commitment in life is Christ-likeness, be faithful and committed to my wife, to my kids, and to the church that we get to pastor and to get on this platform. Preachers, sneakers, they're a bit overpriced, but there you go. And um, this this spirit-filled community was driven by love, to love one another. What is the greatest gift we can give to each other and humanity in the season that we're in, in this pandemic? I believe it is to truly love one another and to be one, to be one. In AD 40, there were approximately 1,000 Christians in the Roman Empire. By AD 350, there were almost 30 million followers of Christ. How is it such a short ministry in the middle of nowhere with none of the resources that we have today in the Western world was able to make such an impact where over 50% converted to Christ? It was because they had love at the center of their community. Despite the pressure, despite the oppression and the persecution, they witnessed to a loving God. They made the invisible God manifest and visible by the community radically loving one another. And actually, if we go back to the book of Joshua, and you read those last few chapters in Joshua, you'll see that one of the great marks of the presence of God being upon the people is that in spite of their differences, the people were unified. They discovered that despite the physical boundaries that existed and the perceptions of, look, you're being unfaithful in how you worship God. Our way is the right way. And you had the, the Western tribes and the Eastern tribes believing that each other had broken faith. But war was not needed, and instead they gathered around the worship of God and the faithfulness of God, and there they discovered that Yahweh dwelt amongst them. Despite their differences and the diversity and their perceptions is that they were unified And that commanded a blessing and was marked by the presence of God. Yahweh was among them. Is it true worship? Whether we've got an organ or we've got Joni on the keys or someone on guitar or if we can sing or not, you know, we can't sing at the moment because of the restrictions. Friends, if that is where the strength of our unity and confidence lays, we have missed the heart of God. We join with one another in unity in the gospel because we recognize that without the cross, we are nothing. And we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Christ is the dividing line. I love how Tim Keller, the author and pastor from New York, puts it like this. Christians believe that our sin has made us worthy of condemnation and hell. From those living respectable lives to those leading criminal lives, all of us fall infinitely and therefore equally sure of loving and serving God in the way that is due him. Therefore, we can only be saved 
through Christ by sheer grace. Look, this is how I live my life. The more I see my own flaws and sin, the more precious and electrifying is God's grace in my life. We are one. We are one. And we're seeing in our world, aren't we, right now, mass division, dividing lines, theologically, politically, racially, divided over COVID. Friends, the gospel calls us to unite and love one another, even our enemies. And what unites us is never to be opinion-based, but is practice-based. Look at what, what they rallied around in the early church. You see it from Acts 2, 42 to 47. They rallied around teaching and fellowship and prayer and generosity and worship and the breaking of bread. And that is why today is so, so important. We can meet, though with restrictions, we must witness to the resurrected Christ, come together, stare at each other in the, in the eyes and say, we are one in Christ. We are the body of Christ. 1 John 4, just going to read a few verses from 1 John 4. John wrote this. Of course, John is that annoying Christian who said a number of times about himself, I'm the one that Jesus loves. And he probably had a t-shirt saying that, I'm Jesus' favorite. And he has these very, very powerful words. Starting at verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Let's go back to that slide. Verse 7, you see this exhortation, let us love. And that is my encouragement and exhortation to you today. Whole vineyard, let us love. Let us love. And then, hey, if you don't get that, verse 11, we ought to love. It's a statement of duty. If you are truly a Christian and you call yourself a Christian, then your behavior must match up to your new name. It's a statement of duty. We ought to love And then the hypothesis, verse 12, if we love, if we love one another. And so John is at pains, isn't he, through those three things to communicate and convey our Christian obligation to love one another. And the argument goes as as follows, as we see in that passage, is that God is love. So if the origin of love is God, and the proof of this is in Jesus, therefore we ought to love one another. So it originates in God. It comes from God. It's made manifest in Jesus and his death on a cross and is made complete as the body of Christ. He is the head as his body loves one another. And John also has this angle. Verse 7 talks about we are born of God. And verse 13 is a sign of the spirit dwelling within us. In other words, it's grounds of assurance. How do we know that the Spirit is living in us? 
and is producing that fruit, and that is love, that we are loving one another. We acknowledge Christ by the Spirit, now we love by the Spirit. So it talks about in Romans, about the love of God is being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. How are people to see an invisible God? We make the invisible God visible by loving one another. This is what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room in John 13. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We put God on display, if you like, by our love and commitment to one another. And you know the place that we get to almost practice these things and and live them out before we even go out into the world, that is in small groups, it's in circles, it's in the, the life of the church as we break up into groups of three and six and 12. You know, life uh, doesn't happen in rows like we are here today, it happens in circles. And that's where we get to love one another, do life for one another. And so we need to be in relationship. And then from that foundation, we love people. We love particularly the unlovely. Jesus has not come for the well or the healthy, but he said he came for the sick. It's not the well that need a physician, but it is the spiritually sick. And so we have many people who come into our church who are struggling with a variety of spiritual sicknesses, if you like, and they should find in us as a church a community that so radically loves one another that it is shelter from the storm. When the storms of life hit us, when we're disappointed and things haven't worked out, when that relationship hasn't worked out, when we're facing unemployment and financial hardship, or whatever circumstance we've got going on, sickness, is that we should be running to the church and find family and community and oneness. It is the one place And a true loving home is like this. It is the place where you can be yourself. You can have messed up, failed, whether that's from your own doing or you're a victim of injustice. It's a storm that's hit your life and you run to your family and be real. And I know we're all wearing masks right now, but it's the one place where actually we get to rip off our masks and be ourselves. And allow people to radically love us without putting any facade up. I read a story about a contest concerning uh, which child was the most caring child in this particular group. And the winner of the contest was a four-year-old child whose next-door neighbor was an elderly man who recently lost his wife. On seeing the man cry, the little boy went into the older gentleman's back garden, climbed onto his lap, and just sat there. When his mother asked what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said, nothing. I just helped him cry. You see, that's what families do. They help sad people cry. And that's what we want to do as the whole Vineyard Church. The responsibility of the church is to love one another, and that includes those who are in the church and who are our future church. See the church, see your small group, see your parish, not just as people you know in the church, but see it as the city and beyond. Henry Newman said this, community 
is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Friends, we need each other. We can't function without each other. We're not a meeting to attend, but we're a community to belong to. Let us love one another. Let us be together. Let us be unified. Let us be one. And I think a tremendous response to this is to actually take communion together. So I'm going to invite Joni up. And uh, underneath your seats, for those of you who are in here in the auditorium, for those of you at home, maybe you want to grab some bread, some wine, fruit juice, a biscuit. And um, what we're going to do is, I'm just going to read a few verses from John 17. This is uh, Jesus' prayer. This is farewell, final discourse. He's, he's had the last supper. He's on the, his way to the cross. And just listen to the heart of God. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read these words and then we're going to listen to a bit of music. And as we're listening to that, um, just feel free just to partake of, you've got a wafer and fruit juice. And just do your own one-to-one business with God. But at the same time, whilst you do that, almost just look at one another. And others, we do this. We are one. We are the body of Christ who are in great need of a Savior in Jesus. And he has died for us so we may have eternal life. And now we are adopted as sons and daughters and we are the family of God. And it's so powerful. So it says in John 17, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that there may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them.